Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the O Show podcast presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness in Scottsdale. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an exclusive high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ himself, Floyd Money Mayweather, formulated with the perfect combination of boxing, strength, and cardio conditioning intervals designed to make you look good, feel good, and leave you with more than just a great sweat. So head on down to Mayweather Boxing and Fitness in Scottsdale. Our guest today is a musician by day. Day, kind of a spaceman by night, Jason Achilles Mazillis. Thanks for joining the show, man. We had a few uh, technical difficulties to start, had about a 30 minute rain delay, but we're rocking and rolling, no pun intended. Is, is Mayweather's like nickname money? I, I never yeah. heard that before. Because he Not makes enough. a lot of it. <laughs> yeah. That's a good nickname. He makes a lot of money. So you just you, adopt that anyway, yeah. What would your nickname be? Um, uh, not money. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I'm maybe very lucky. <laughs> Jason Achilles, lucky Mazillus. Yeah, I don't know. I've got enough names already. I don't think anybody needs more of them. So I'm very intrigued to talk to you today. Again, I listened to you on a podcast a few weeks ago. Wanted to reach out. Uh, you are musician, rock and roll artist. You are again. You, you just founded your own company, but you were a consultant for NASA for a number of years as well. When did that start? Just to get into this, like first, you know, your your desire and love for, for space, that happened at a young age, right? Like somewhere around like kindergarten, someone like a teacher came in and talked to you guys about space and you were just hooked and that fire was never, you know, put out? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, probably the same age it does for everybody. Um, I mean, I don't, I, yeah, I, the, I think the love was there, but the, like the, that episode you mentioned with the teacher who I'm actually still like now good friends with, which is amazing. But it, it was just sort of a, a seminal moment. I remember where it like, I don't know, it just kind of congealed it, you know, with yeah. a few other things. Like my folks took me to see a telescope when I was really young and you could see, we went to see Jupiter and it was like, somehow I remember this. It was like the size of a marble, you know, and you wow. could see the clouds on Jupiter and like looking through the eyepiece, you know, it wasn't on a screen or anything. And, and, um, and then, yeah, like the first Star Trek movie, the motionless picture, uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I remember watching that in our neighbor's basement and like, and plus the music, the way the music was correlated in that film with the, um, was it Jerry Goldsmith that did the score? Yeah, the I believe you're right. Yep. Cause James Horner did the second, and, mm-hmm. but both of those. Yeah. And like that, that Klingon battle cruiser scene. Well, it's not even a battle. It's just V'ger annihilating those Klingons in the beginning with that static, you know, and, uh, and the mix of the special effects and the sound and the space, and it's just, you know, what's not to love, you know? Oh, my God. I mean, so <laughs> that obviously has to evolve into something else later on in your life because I feel like a lot of people would be like, oh, cool, and then move on to the next thing at a young age, you know, as, as many kids at a young age do. So what kept it going for you? You just wanted to learn more about it? No, nah, you know, I don't know. I think I just have this, like, weird... I feel like, I don't know, maybe I have an overactive imagination. I guess I just never, it never got drilled into my head the idea that, like, you know, things that you dream about can't just be, you know, real eventually. <laughs> so did you have, uh, like, a set, like, goal in mind when it kind of clicked for you? Oh, you mean as far as, 
like how the the working in space kind of came back. Yeah. It was, I mean, it wasn't until, so I got the gig, I got the, let's see, I got, I got the gig with NASA as a consultant, which is actually, I had to start the company in order to get the gig. And, um, which then led to now that photo is from now we're working on a new project that that my company is now leading, which is cool because our our contract is over now with JPL because we you know we basically did the job, mm-hmm. and um, so at the time it was just a company formed to get the contract, you know. Right. Uh, but now we're actually leading a new project and we've got funding from NASA and it's it's yeah it's really pretty cool, um, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of like in the years, the sort of previous le- years leading up to that, I just kind of, I don't know, you know, you get to a point in your life and you're like, I don't know. I, it just sort of felt there was just this need that started developing. I don't really know how better to explain it. So what were some of the things, you know, post that you talked about, you know, like your parents bringing you places, obviously school as well. Because you didn't really get into music until, what, like your senior year in high school? Like That was kind of like a late blend for you when it came to the music side. Well, that was that was when I decided to do it professionally. So yeah. I, it, probably that was an early start to figure out what you wanted to do with your life. Because, um, you know, a lot of people finish college and they're still kind of like, I don't know, I got a psychology degree because I couldn't figure it out, you know? Yeah. Um, but basically, when I was, yeah, 17 years old, I think it was... That's when I decided, okay, I'm going to get a degree in music and sort of, I guess that kind of cemented that as a, you know, professional move, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, that's which is very funny because a music degree is virtually worthless in at least my line of work. I mean, it's yeah. good if you want to be a teacher, you know, or a, a researcher. I have a cousin in um, London, one of my Greek cousins who, who does fantastic theoretical research on, on music and you know, psychological effects of these things. And, and, uh, and in, in his line of work, you know, a degree is helpful. <laughs> With mine, I think just having, having a bachelor's degree of any sort, I think that might have been a requirement when I got the NASA gig, but they didn't care what it was. Mm-hmm. So, like, obviously, a, you know, how much does a music degree inf- reinforce your work in the space but i guess in my case it it sort of was helpful but so kind of talk about you know making fragmented sorry (laughs) i mean i'm very interested to get your take on how you made music like quote unquote a career as opposed to just doing it for fun because the goal is to do it for fun but at the same time there's the business aspect and you know you getting a music degree did you learn any of that in that degree or is it more of just like you said like having that to do other things like becoming a teacher helping you know the younger generation like when it comes to the business side, like financially, being a musician, how how quickly or how long did it take you to kind of put those pieces I'm together? I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm horrible yeah. with that stuff. And it's weird because music has always been very personal for me, and I think it's been harder to divest myself from the, I guess you would say, the artistic side of it into the financial side. And, like, you, you kind of, like, you really need to think of yourself as a commodity. And so, like, it, it was only in the last couple of years that I started um, – I guess like a solo career mm-hmm. where I'm touring now as a solo instrumentalist. It's just me and a drummer and we tour as Jason Achilles. And one of the reasons for dropping my last name from that was, well, one, so people would remember it because, right. well, you know, it's a little easier to digest, but also uh, it was our first tour of Europe in 2018 where we sort of experimented with that, like 
just saying that and then would people remember the band as opposed to when I would say my full name and they would just kind of give a blank stare. But also it helps divest yourself from the project so you can think of yourself more like a cereal box or something. You know, whereas with the company now, it's because it's like so obviously a separate entity, I think I'm learning a lot more about the financials of things just in the last, even in the last six months. I mean, we just got our first contract for this new project six months ago. And, you know, I have to do all these, you know, um, purchase orders and invoicing with all my, you know, providers. And, and, and we've got a merchandise line that we're just now getting going. Um, I've got an assistant now working with me. You know, we've got the website up and running. Zandif Dexit, you know, which, again, nobody can pronounce, but what do right. you do? Um, but when somebody tells me they're interested in music, like, young, you know, one of the first things I tell them, which they think is a joke, I say, sign your kid up for financial planning classes. And it's not a joke. <laughs> it's because if you want to do what you love, you have to figure out a way to afford to do it unless you're independently wealthy or something, you know. But for the rest of us, you know, you got to find a way to afford to be a musician. And nowadays, there's a lot of strange ways to monetize in music. But I think there's a lot of I think it's become increasing. It's become easier for the artists to control how they monetize directly, but it's been increasingly difficult for you to monetize while creating what I think would be considered actually artistic. Right. Like if you're doing sort of like, you know, TikTok, or Instagram kind of snippets, you know, tastes of stuff. Uh, there's ways to get money at that, you know, and, and YouTubers obviously, well, YouTube actually can monetize directly, but if you're trying to sell like Led Zeppelin length music and in, in this like long format, you know, like a lot of our songs are like six and a half minutes long. Um, I have not figured out how to do that yet. And there's, you know, there's things like licensing for film, but I, I had a pretty bad experience with that. So now I'm pretty shy about that stuff. So I, I have not honestly figured out how to monetize with it. Um, I think right now, as we're coming out of pandemic and everyone's, you know, setting up tours again. And that's definitely a good way, you know, Oh yeah. like we love my drummer and I, we love playing live. So right now we're looking for a good situation with a booking agent where we can really get moving. So do you but juggle it, yeah. both or is it kind of like, all right, if I'm focused on music, I'm all in with, you know, touring, booking stuff, you know, everything when it comes to that, whether it's the music and the business side or, you know, you know, your company when it comes to, you know, dealing with, um, you know, getting audio on Mars, which I think is like the number one thing that you guys were working on. Do you juggle both or is it again, I'm all in on one thing or the other? It's, it's, you know, it's interesting. It, it, a lot of people have asked me if I had to, you know, sacrifice one for the other. Um, what I do is no, it's, it's, it's all in on both, but I really try and be all in for the moment. So yeah. when we're, when we're doing the mu music, it's focused When we're doing the space stuff. It's focused, but it can be, you know, morning doing one afternoon, doing another, like, um, like last night. I, so I have a studio that's separate from my house where I live. Uh, this isn't it. This is just like a little home studio here, but, um, I've got a space downtown LA and I'll go down there, leave the phone in the car. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, right now I have to learn a bunch of songs for this little film independent film project I'm doing. And so just, yeah, go in there, lock yourself away for hours. Don't think about anything. And, and also that I tend to work hours at night where nobody's bothering me, you know, and then 
the space stuff tends to happen earlier in the day when I'm not really musically worthwhile. (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's funny because I say music by day, space by night, but it's probably the opposite. It's just music is still, I consider my primary first, you know, because that's what I've been doing for decades, you know, and the space stuff is new. But they're definitely both of equal importance. There's been periods of time over the last five years where one has taken precedence and the other fell off, and I never enjoyed that. I've discovered that, for me, I, I just, I have to have them both going. But it's, you know, it's like you got to, it's like any kind of relationship, right? You got to make sure you give things the right focus or they're going to suffer and then you suffer. <laughs> so trying to balance both of these at the same time, I'm curious to know from both uh, space perspective and music perspective, what were the lowest moments that you got in each where you said this could be it? Like the closest you ever came to quitting because it got too difficult. And then obviously the uprise and overcoming that. I don't think I ever came close to quitting. I've, I've definitely come where like, I felt like there was no hope. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't quitting. It was sort of like watching it fall apart and not wanting to. So, okay. Probably. So when I first got, hired at JPL. It was um, beginning of 2017. Um, And within a span of six months, I started this new career as an instrumentalist, which was really, which was awesome. I went to Europe and recorded my first fully orchestral piece, uh, hired an orchestra, did the whole thing, which is something I'd been dreaming about ever. Mm -hmm. And I started working for NASA and it was incredible. And then Within like four months, all of those things fell off. Like they, you know, we finished our first contract with NASA and then there was this gap of time where they were like, okay, thanks. And I'm like, is that it? Is my space career done? Like it, it lasted two months and it's over. And, and I got really down. And then, you know, we finished off a tour, I think, with my band and like there, there was a lull there. You know, the orchestral thing was done, but, like, I, I put it out and, like, sold 40 copies after spending, you know, thousands of thousands of dollars. <laughs> and, like, so I think that was, that that's the lowest moment in recent memory where, like, to have everything you've dreamed of, all three things, and then have it all sort of just evaporate yep. and just be like, ah, oh, shit. I mean, it becomes a realization <laughs> that you actually have to, like, overcome things and really put in the work to keep them going. Well, it's it's sort of like you see it all vaporize, and you're like, you, you, and you're like, damn it! I was was I just lucky to even get there in the first place? Is that it? You know, am I not going to be able to touch this again? And so, yeah, I definitely. Then there, there was a lot of sort of despairing months of like, how do I not even recapture, but like create some new situation that fires all those things again? Because I, I don't know. I don't. It, it's it's. I don't know. I think it's it's always harder when you know what you're missing, right? As opposed to just some pie in the sky. Oh yeah. What were you some know. of those inspirations for you then? Like even at a young age when it came to the music side and then obviously your working side being a consultant for NASA for hmm. 4 or 5 years, starting your own thing, you know, developing different things to accomplish the things that you wanted to do. Who were some outside inspirations that kind of like told you, even if it was for like a moment, maybe like it inspired you, gave you a why for a little bit to keep going, be like, oh, that's awesome. I could take that and kind of 
mish that into my own style in a sense. Wait, are you asking like direct inspiration, like like folks that interacted with me, or like um, just are... people that you saw, like if you saw them on TV, whatever people okay. you interacted yeah. with, anybody? Well, because like I mean, as far as interacting, my parents have always been amazing. Um, I mean, even to not argue about me getting a music degree is yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not saying they were necessarily always thrilled with the choices, but ultimately they were supportive. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um, now it's obviously worked out better. So, uh, but as far as like, yeah, like when I was young, I remember like, I really wanted to play piano because I'd seen an early broadcast of a, a legendary pianist named Vladimir Horowitz mm-hmm. at a young age. And he just had huge hands. He was like, that's awesome. Um, I remember watching the cosmos, uh, series that Carl Sagan had, you know, way back in the day mm-hmm. and his, just the sound of his voice. It's weird because I, looking back now, I realized sound was kind of intertwined with it a lot. My kindergarten teacher, like he had a really awesome voice and I forgot about that until we reconnected a few years ago. And he, as soon as he opened his mouth, I was like, Oh my God, I feel like I'm a kid again. <laughs> and like, there's something about this, like, you know, when people, I don't know how you deliver something is I think as important as what is, what's there in terms of if it's going to inspire people, you know, yeah. I mean? which is something I'm really trying to do with this new company. You know, it's like we're, we're all this stuff we're trying to do with space is try, you know, like, like the sounds of Mars, for example, right? It wasn't just capture the sounds of Mars. It was like really capture them well, <laughs> you know, make it sound good. And, uh, and our mic did, and that's why we, one of the reasons that, the selection that we made for the hardware that ultimately flew, we wanted to make sure, yeah, it's going to work, but also we wanted it to actually sound good. Right. And it does. It sounds amazing. And um, so, I, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm not sure if that answers your question or not. No, I mean, it totally does because, like, I'm constantly looking at other inspiration to keep me going and what I'm doing because I'm always taking bits and pieces from other fractions, other people, and kind of meshing it into my own thing with my own style that I know that I have in order to, again, keep me going and keep being curious about things and keep being interested in outside things. Because, again, like when I saw your interview on that podcast, I'm like, this is very interesting, something that I've never seen before. Someone who is literally just black and white, music and space. Like, you, <laughs> you are probably one of the only people, at least, you know, out there that people know of that have those similarities. Well, there, there's a lot. I've met a lot of people since I've gotten involved here, you know, that in the space world that, that do music. There's a lot of musicians that like a lot of surprisingly creative types from play. And you, you wouldn't expect. But right. I think I think, yeah, the unique part probably is that a lot of people don't try and focus on them both, you know, and I, I just like I just don't sleep much, I think. And I, and I don't have, you know, I don't have kids. Right. You know, as far as I know. Um, <laughs> uh but, like, what you just said about, like, you know, finding your style is interesting, right? Yep. Like, you, you don't even realize that you... What, sometimes you don't know what your style is until you're thrown off the deep end. It's like, it's like your swimming style. You don't really know until somebody pushes you in. Exactly. And then you're like... I mean, you know, that's a rough analogy. But you know what I mean? Like, finding your style is interesting because, like... You, you can't just say, okay, this is my style. You, you, you have to do the thing. You know, you have to speak the language, and then you start to realize what your accent is, right? Yeah. And then if you maybe want to affect that as you go, 
or if you want to affect your style or like, then you can start to see like your show, you know, you start doing your show, but then it takes a while. A, you get feedback from people and then you watch a couple episodes and you're like, ah, I look like a dick or, Oh, that that's cool. Or, you know, or the weather, this microphone sucks or, you know, all yeah. these things that will affect the style of how you present yourself, you know? Correct. And it's fun to see that come together you know, and occasionally you get to see yourself from a removed perspective, you know, and, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fun to discover whether or not you actually have style. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I've never considered myself a stylish person, but I'm starting to notice mostly from feedback of other people. There's a certain way, I guess, that I tend to approach things. That's so that's cool. Yeah, it's neat. Do you remember some of the first songs you wrote thinking back and thinking like, holy shit, that is awful. I used to have the opposite problem where I used to think everything I came up with is, was amazing and maybe it wasn't. And then I wasn't yeah. critical enough of it, you know? So for me, it was kind of the opposite problem. Like in the moment. Yeah. Like you think like, cause you haven't done anything beyond that point. Like, Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to put that out there. But then you look back three, four years later, maybe even like six months later and think like, uh, probably shouldn't have done that. I would say more, more, more than songwriting. Well, I've never written lyrics, but so some people say it's not songwriting if there aren't mm -hmm. lyrics, but I do words, uh, not words, I do melodies and yeah. everything except lyrics, you know, but I always, if there's ever a lyrical situation, I have to work with, you know, a singer, but as far as melodies, music, um, no, I, I think I, I, I've, I've looked back with some regret on recordings I've done in terms of just the quality of the recordings, mm -hmm. but not as much about the songs. It's more about like just the way they I was captured and you know it's I'm always I've always been a much better producer than I've been an engineer and when you're engineering your own stuff it's hard to get remote perspective you know what I mean right so I think it's better now um because you know anyway yeah so, so who's because this is very interesting to me and the whole yeah. concept of it Whose idea was it to, again, start it from NASA's standpoint of putting sound on Mars, you know, building something to shoot up there and put, you know, audio on Mars? Because, again, you're dealing with a ton of audio stuff on the music side as a musician, and then you bring that over to your other gig, and it's like this insanely cool thing that nobody's ever done before. So the idea was brought up over 20 years ago by Carl Sagan, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was not the one who originally thought of it. It was one of his, uh, forget the name. I yeah. Anyway, but he took the idea. He, he sort of, I think, I guess first popularized it. He, you know, he wrote NASA about it. He's like, hey, we should really do this. And then he died right after that. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so, but when I... When I first thought of it, I didn't know about any of that stuff. So it was kind of, it, it was like, you know, you get an idea that sort of independently comes to you and you think, oh, how clever I am. And then you go online and you're like, oh, yeah, this is, people have been doing this for decades. Yeah. <laughs> but as far as this mission itself, yeah, I was sort of like, I, I had the idea and then I was like, oh, man, there's got to be a way to convince them to do this. And then a few months into that process, a friend of mine told me, hey, actually, they're, they're going to do it. And then it was like, Oh crap. Okay. Yeah. How do I get on board? You know, how do I get that job? <laughs> so it was sort of a very focused effort that had to like rapidly shift 
from how do you convince everybody to like, oh crap, they're going to do it without me, you know? Right. And the way it timed out and, you know, it was a lot of luck and, and, and a lot of research. I don't know. It was kind of all, everything combined. But. So when you first, you know, were introduced to the idea, you know, start to finish, how long did it all take? How long did it all evolve? So the first, I was on tour, it was like October of 2016. That's when I had my first meeting with who, Dave Gruel, who eventually became my supervisor at JPL. Um, a month prior to that, I'd written NASA a letter, you know, like, hey, I'd like to be involved. And they wrote, they actually wrote right back. And they're like, yeah, cool. <laughs> really? And um, so they said, you know, we'll get in touch with you in a month. And then they did. And then, um, but then I had to start my own company because they couldn't hire me. And so, I, you know, and I was on tour with this website called LegalZoom. Mm-hmm. You know, that? I don't know if maybe some, but, but they're actually, it's a very useful tool if you need to do things like, set up a company really quick and I, uh, you know, it's a few bucks. Mm-hmm. You got to avoid all the like stuff they try and throw at you, you know, right. They were great. And so we set up a, um, an S corp and then got hired beginning of 2017. And then basically two, our first contract was two months long. And so I had to put together a technical team and we basically had to write this big, it was like an evaluation study. Basically it was like a 20 page report. We had to give it an in-person review at JPL, um, which was interesting. <laughs> and uh, so that was the initial contract. And then came that dark period I mentioned before where I was like, oh, crap. Oh, yeah. Then four months later, they were like, all right, your first proposal was fine, but we just can't afford to do any of that stuff. So we're going to bring you back and help us select an off-the-shelf component, help us develop the test procedures, you know, and run some tests on your own, blah, blah, blah. And so that contract ran through... Up to, right up until the day of the press conference this year, which was February 22nd, which is when they first shared that sound that we got. Um, and, 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 and very subtly slid through the fact that we didn't actually capture the whole landing sequence, yeah. which is, you know, but, but Dave, our supervisor, was able to fire the mic back up over the weekend and make sure. And so it was good. It worked. It didn't capture, capture what it was supposed to, but it, it wasn't the fault of the hardware and, and everything worked fine. So ultimately. So everybody uh, was happy in the end. That's all that matters. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Dave was really good about keeping everybody's expectations really low. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's funny. Yeah. You know, normally, no, everybody kind of forgets that that was the whole goal was to capture that landing sequence. But it was funny. I was having drinks the other day with some folks at, uh, from SpaceX. And one of the guys, I met him this is young, young engineer over there. And he's like, what do you do? And I was like, well, I did this thing, you know, he's like, oh yeah, too bad that didn't work. <laughs> oh my God, you son of a bitch. <laughs> those guys, they, they're very, very detail oriented. Those guys. Oh my God. Uh, but usually everybody's like, oh, it's so awesome. And of course the SpaceX guys are like, yeah, nice job there. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. But at the same time, they're also like, you know, Everybody there is like their whole thing is they want to send stuff to Mars. At the same time as he was kind of giving me shit, he was also like, oh, man, that's so cool. You know, it was fun. It was definitely worth the beer. I mean, you guys have worked on like a ton of cool projects. Some of the stuff that you sent me, what was the 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 Delta four rocket shit that you guys sent up? Yeah, you should. Yeah, if you can share that with people or if there's so that was just a total that was a fun project we did. 
buddy of mine at JPL set up the camera and then the audio. Yeah. That you really need to like, yeah. people need to hear the, really the standout on this is the audio. Yeah. And, um, we'll commentate on it for us. Yeah. So basically that's, <laughs> the, we're about 750 feet away from the pad. We had to set the camera and the microphones up the day before. Wow. It took about six months of planning, working through the logistics of it, meeting the right people. It was really a, like, one of those, like, the right person can say yes or no. Right. And, but the whole reason it, that this happened, the only reason I, I set this whole project up was because one of the perks of this, you know, Mars audio gig is that I got to get a private tour of Skywalker Sound. Ooh. Uh, up in Marin County a couple, I think it was, I want to say it was, like, early 2019. And while I was there, I met this kid named Benny Burt. And, uh, and people might recognize his name because his father, whose same name, Ben Burt, was the sound designer for Star Wars. And I mean, it's everything. He's the godfather of sound design. And, um, and his son, Benny, also works there and, and does a lot of sound editing. Yeah. And, um, and I had seen something he had done earlier in the space world. So I actually knew his son because of his work. And so when I met him, I'm like, oh, man, you did this one audio thing with a space shuttle microphone. And it was killer. He's like, oh, thanks. And he's like, you know, I've always wanted to, like, record a rocket launch, like, but for reals, like, actually, you know, for me. And I'm like, all right, I want to make this happen. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a long time coming, but about six months of actual planning. And finally, there we were. It was myself. I didn't even really need to be there at that point. I was just like... You know, it's like you, you organize the party and then you just sit back and enjoy it. Um, and then my friend from JPL, Justin, who filmed that video, and then Benny, who did the audio. And we made sure, the, the reason we kept it as a simple one shot is we wanted people to experience as much as close as possible what it would be like to be there. I mean, you can't be within three miles of launch. And this might, you know, everything, like I said, we're less than a thousand feet away. And the microphones are at a different location, but same distance because the way we had to put it where it wasn't going to get like wind noise and, and weird acoustic reflections. So the micro, the, the camera's dead center, mm-hmm. that crazy wide angle, you know, and the microphones are off to the side, but at the same distance. And, uh, and you know, they're like, and, and his dad came with us just, so they made a road father son road trip out of it, and you know, and I'm of course trying not to totally nerd out on the fact that you know <laughs> he's like, yeah, I brought the one of the microphones they brought because his father was like kind of helping out, but really kind of staying out of the way, let let his son you know really do the thing, you know. And Benny's very talented and and had all these re- it was you have to do these remote triggers and stuff. it's really complicated stuff, especially if you've never done it before. Yeah. Well, one of the microphones they brought was the same microphone they used to record the Millennium Falcon sounds. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. Um, there's actually a cool home video, home movie video that was put together, but I don't know if we can ever put it out because there's a lot of things on there that are not cleared for public release. What know? kind of things, Jason? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was funny because the rocket, the rocket was a spy satellite. And so the payload was fully secure. There was no issue there. But the problem was that, like, the the weekend of the launch, all this top brass started rolling in. And so we had to really, like, stay out of people's way because 
anybody at any time could have been like, take your crap, get out of here. Yeah. You know, um, so we really had to keep a low profile. Unfortunately, there was no problems. We had a, uh, yeah, a friend who works there who really, um, he, he had a, I don't know. It's just really cool. I, yeah, I, I love people can check it out. We have my company, Zandif Dexit. We have a uh, YouTube now and, and that video is on there. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you've got to listen to the headphones though. It's insane. I think the rocket launch, I think somebody said it measures at the launch point, it measures like 152 decibels, which is, you know, physically punishing. Wow. So where we were at, even from that far distance, it's still pretty damn loud. Most launches are all distorted and fuzzed out, and we really caught them. Benny did a really good job with the, you know, the um, uh, the noise, uh, what do you call it? You know, the dynamic range of right. his recording so that everything's like, it's it sounds good. And these poor birds, you hear these birds chirping before? Those birds are not chirping afterwards. No, sir. Is that one of the is that one of the more rewarding things, you know, putting in that work and seeing killing how birds. that is? <laughs> not killing birds. Of course not. That wasn't my fault. We're <laughs> animal lovers, but uh is that one of the more cool things, you know, seeing all that hard work pay off and getting to look at something like that, let alone, you know, hearing everything. Like what, what what's the most rewarding thing out of that job on on the space side? I mean, the absolutely most rewarding thing was being there with those guys and, and having, having somehow cultivated a lifestyle where, I can, where I, I can make things like this happen. And just being there and not, not even doing anything. I was just, you know, I was the one relaxed. Just he's setting up over there. He's sitting over here. I'm just sort of staring at this rocket like, this is awesome. <laughs> and of course, yeah, after the fact, it's cool to have something to share with people, you know, and that's the focus, right? Right. But uh, I don't know. It's like being on tour or something. It's just you just you're out there and you're like, you know, who gets to do this stuff? You know, and you're getting we didn't get paid for that. But I was going to say and getting paid. But that's, you know, you're getting the, with paid the project in your we soul. got coming up with the, the camera stuff the, for my company. We are, you know, that's paying. So, yeah, there you go. And you probably have like a ton of cool uh, tour stories as well on the music side. You know, with everything going on there, or so I I've guess. Got a lot my, of stories. I don't know if they're cool ones or I, not. I, I guess my question there is because you know everybody says there's musicians and then there's rock stars. You know, it's like the rock star persona. You're a musician, but have you had any rock star moments? Oh well, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, um, Do tell. I had well. This was one. Well, I've got a lot of like. This is a, a story of failure, but it's interesting. Well, yeah, I guess you... So beginning of... Was it 2019? I guess this was two years ago. I, yeah, I got... There was a this band. It was kind of like a super group thing that was put together. And um, the band was uh, it was Steve Stevens on guitar and uh, Matt Sorum oh, wow. Jr. on drums and Geezer Butler on bass. You know... And um, and then uh, they were putting together a tour, and um, and the uh, they needed a they were considering taking out like a sideman. So like they basically had some songs they recorded, but you know a lot of bands will do this where they'll you know you layer stuff. For, I don't know, just people that don't know, you know, right. like you, you layers. Like Aerosmith will have a guy playing keyboards 
sort of on the side and maybe they're on stage with the band or maybe they're kind of hidden behind the curtain. You know, there's a lot of times like, or Green Day started taking out uh, Pat right. Smear, I think after a while and kind of like just to thicken up the sound and have it match. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah. He started touring with them. I think he was touring with them with them when, even like on American Idiot and stuff like that. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah I'm a Pat big Smear. Nirvana Foo Fighters type guy. Green Day was probably my first love though. Like that whole American Idiot, that bullet in a Bible uh, tour that they did out in England. I, I yeah. dressed up as Billy Joe Armstrong for Halloween like three years in a row. Like, he was my <laughs> that's guy. Awesome. So that's interesting. I didn't know he did that. I, I, I think it was Pat Smear. I mean, it was he, right? Or was he, it was after Nirvana and it was, yeah, because yeah, it wasn't Foo Fighters because they have enough guys already. I want to say Pat Smear was with Green Day. I mean, unless I'm totally crazy about this. <laughs> but I know Green Day had somebody and I thought it was him. But anyway, so this band, so I ended up, uh, I ended up rehearsing with those guys for two weeks, about two weeks. And at the very end, they decided they just didn't want a side guy. It wasn't like, yeah. they didn't pick somebody else. They're just like, eh, that's all right. We're just going to go. And they just wanted to keep it raw, you know? Right. But, it, you know, it was, it was very last minute. I had to lose, learn all the songs really quick. And then next thing I know, I'm at, at rehearsal with, you know, all these guys and, it was neat, <laughs> you oh know, you just sort of like shut up, stay in your corner, you know, stay out of the way and don't be a problem as much as possible. And, but you still have to like, you know, anytime you're playing with like sort of players like that, that have played, you know, lots of stadiums, they've all been in big bands and, you know, you, you have to bring a presence, you know, you, you, you can't be timid. So but, who was the most intimidating guy that you ever played with? Oh, that I ever played with? Yeah. As far as like uh, like a famous guy, like uh, someone that you know you were on stage with or just performing with, that you thought like, all right, I can't screw up here. Like there was just like an insecure part in your mind that said like, I got to impress this guy. I wouldn't say it's intimidating in the sense of like playability, but it is. Uh, there's definitely a don't screw up in terms of yeah. like you want to be professional and you want to like represent yourself well. Right. There was a gig, probably one of the most terrifying moments I had on stage was. Um, I, I got asked last minute, this was a crazy story too, to play bass for a band that was, uh, it was Vivian Campbell on guitar and Mark Shulman was playing drums and it was, I had one night to learn the entire set and the show was going to be a sold out show at the House of Blues in LA. It was like this big, um, uh, um, it was like a free, like an auction fundraising thing, I think. Yeah. And, um, and there was, we had no rehearsal. Um, I had to learn the songs overnight. I, and I'm not, not a good bass player. Like, I can fake it, but like, basically, a friend of mine who was a friend of the band's, they had a bass player they were really unhappy with, and they were going to pull out of the gig. They were like, they didn't even want to do it. And she's like, oh, I got my friend. He's going to do it. And so I'm like, okay. <laughs> she's like, go home, learn the stuff. I'm like, all right, all right. So I learned all the music that night. And um, we did a, a couple of the guys came over. And we did a very quick acoustic rehearsal in my like roach infested Hollywood apartment, yep. you know? And, um, but then we only played one song together as a band and that was at soundcheck at house of blues and Vivian came in and he was so convinced that, and, and I'm going to preface this by saying Vivian is awesome. Um, so I'm not, it's going to sound like I'm saying bad things, right. but I'm not, but he came in and he was just, I think in such a sour mood. Cause he was like, 
he didn't want to be there. He was expecting this thing to fail. Some, you got this jabroni who's showed up last minute to learn your set overnight. And like, how good is that possibly going to be? You know? And, um, but I really killed myself to like, not just learn the songs, but memorize them, you know, so I'm not staring at a piece <laughs> right. of paper, like, you know, cause you gotta be on stage. You gotta be, it's a show also. It's not just a recording, you know, you can't be staring at your notes or something. Oh yeah. And so we played one song at rehearsal about halfway through the first, that one song, he, cause he, he hadn't said a word to me. He hadn't even looked at me, you know, he was poor guy just did not want to be there. <laughs> And we get through this like thing, and about halfway through, I sort of see him turn, and like an eyebrow goes up, and it, like that surprise, like, oh, this doesn't suck, you know? Yeah. And then as soon as we finished the song, he came over. He was really friendly, and it's you know it's been great ever since. You know, wow. we only did a couple shows together, but um, but he's always been very kind to me, and it was but that that night, yeah, definitely, you know, we're about to go on stage, and it's just like, oh. Christ, what yeah. am I doing here? <laughs> but it was great. It was total success. The the show was great. Folks loved it. I remember one time I'm looking. I looked down while I'm playing, and there's and I saw Mick Fleetwood standing in front, like looking at me while I'm playing. I'm like, you know, and I'd only been in L.A. a few years. I'm like, what the hell is this? You know? Wow. That was a pretty. That was a good one. I mean, that kind of comes back to you know having your own style. You know, having the confidence and courage to be like, all right, like this might suck, but we'll see. And then, you know, 50-50 yeah. chance. Sometimes it turns out great. Sometimes it doesn't, you know. But it's kind of like, uh, and I kind of wanted to touch on this, too, because I, I saw in the podcast that you did. This will be the last thing I ask you. I don't want to take too oh, much yeah, of right. time. But it was, it was, you guys were talking about David Blaine kind of, you know, manipulating choice. <laughs> and, you know, what he did. Like, there was an episode of, like, Jimmy Kimmel or Leno, whatever, that you saw. And he was, was doing a card right. trick. And it was almost as if, like, he was talking to you through screen. So Well, he, he manipulated our choice through the screen. It was yeah. freakish. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, what, like, what's the whole story behind that? Like, what you guys were talking about, the conversation leading up to that? Because that was very intriguing to me that I kind of wanted to get around to. Oh, gosh, I don't even remember. Um, well, I guess, what was your what was your question, though, before? There was the first thing you said there about, like, sort of... Yeah, it was almost as if, like, he was, like, communicating with you because you said that, like, you were just watching it, and, like, you happened to pick the same card that he ended up showing. Yeah, that's a... I mean, that's, that's a thing that... So, so some people have this, like ability to read others you know and they right. have like this this way um like I, I there's a lot of people i'm very close to that are great at this i'm terrible at this where you can like 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 read somebody and you can understand their motivations and like i when i look at people it's just like a big gray area you know to me i just see endless possibilities of neurons firing and no predictability whatsoever but somebody else will be able to derive patterns of behavior and they have a cognizance of human behavior and they then in their mind it works together when i look at you know a mars rover i see that i see a, I see a whole holistic system where i just seem to have this understanding of how hearts work together and right. maybe ways that can be um uh not maximized but um yeah i can't think of the word right now brains but you know like ways you can better connect pathways and like, you know, when you have a holistic view of something, you can, you can, that, that's basically in my view, that's what I feel like is an understanding when you sort of can see something from the outside and you can turn it in different directions and there's no weird missing angles. 
when I look at people's motivations and their actions, I don't see that. To me, it's just a big gray mess. Yeah. Same with like politics or, you know, right. Ah, the possibilities are, you know, how could you, you know, but with things like working on a song, um, well, that's one of the reasons I love working with analog tape. Um, you know, it limits your possibilities. You know, there's an end game. There's a, there's, you know, if you fill up those 16 tracks, you're done, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. Um, when you're working with an instrument that's flying to another planet, there's everything that's going to, that's an inclusive system. Right. You know, and there's ways to maximize the potential of that system. And so to me, somebody reaching through the screen and motivating somebody from afar, that's like, to me, that's just insane. I mean, I that, that is very, I know, like it, I remember listening to part of that episode thinking like, I'm definitely going to ask him about that. We'll, we'll see if he can answer the question if I, I formulate I it correctly. Yeah. But I always found that, I, I mean, I find the guy, you know, David Blaine, interesting as hell. He, he's insane. He's a crazy guy. But he's, if, if there's anybody in this world that's a real, act, if, if magic actually exists, you know yeah, what I mean? It's and him. it's not just all, you know, what it mostly is. It's that it's got to be that guy. And I think I might have said on that podcast, I don't remember, but I remember thinking that, like, it's almost like he's he that guy transcended like what magic actually is to the point where he had to, like, start doing other stuff because just, you know, being the devil and screwing with people's heads just wasn't enough. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. That guy. There's an interesting interview with him one time where he was talking to, like you actually see him get really emotional. He's talking about. I think he was talking about the one where he had to freeze himself or had to oh, chose, wow. yeah, you know, and like, and then he tried it once and he, he failed at it and he went back and did it again. And it was like this, there's something really interesting that drives that guy. And you see him like, he, he got like, he like welled up. It was like the only time I've seen him almost exhibit human behavior, you know? <laughs> right. And it was really interesting. And like, I don't know. But yeah, that was that was. I still remember that like it was yesterday, man. That was a crazy thing. I'm I'm, I'm and, very curious to see what his next move is too. Because what was it, the the hot air balloon? His last I don't know. Thing? I haven't followed that. I honestly, I don't follow that guy. It's too much for me. <laughs> it's too much. I, I, you know, I follow guys like Bill Burr. Like his comedy, anytime he does something that pops up, I I can like I can digest that. It's funny. It's awesome. It's hits you, but it's not gonna like darken your soul for the next right. two weeks you know as long as you don't repeat anything he says it might offend oh, some people man. well that's he's so great he's, that's the brilliance that. of bill burr though yeah he's just like who cares it's trolls yeah who cares You're like, that's a good point i mean he wants people to come after him well nasa has trolls man it's so funny like and, and weird places too like you expect that on facebook or something but like i'll go on linkedin and nasa jpl post something and then some guy will be like oh how come there's no like you're isn't LinkedIn supposed to be where like non professionals? Yeah, like what? <laughs> but and then you want to get fired up and and join and like bash the troll, but that's like really are you helping society by troll bashing? You know? No, it's just they're they're looking for a fight. They're looking to rally you up. You know? It's a sinister type attitude. It's like the movie War Games. The only winning move is not to play. <laughs> Good. That is that is very true, man. 
Well, I want to thank you so much for, you know, taking the last 40 minutes or so out of your day to talk to me. I'm glad we finally got this done. Sorry about the technical issues at the start. Again, we had a a bit of a rain delay before, but we we got the tarp off and we were rocking and rolling. But again, everything you got going on, man, it's very crazy to see what you're you're doing in a great way. You know, very inspiring. I was inspired enough to reach out to you to kind of pick your brain about what you do with your life. Obviously, two different things, two different entities, music and working. Again, being a consultant for now. NASA, starting your own business again. Uh, is well, there it any... sounds impressive when you put it all like that. <laughs> I'm, I'm promoting you, man. I'm building you up. That's so funny. is there any place that like anybody should go to to reach out to you when it comes to, you know, regarding your business? Well, yeah, well, um, well, the easiest way to find me is actually through my band name, because that's the easiest one to remember. It's just jasonachilles.com, you know, and all the music is on Spotify as Jason Achilles and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but if you look that up, I guess if you say Jason Achilles and you type in, you know, NASA or something like that, you can find my company as well. The company is called Zandif Dexit Incorporated. And that's also the website, ZandifDexit.com. Um, yeah, between those two sort of portals, I guess you can, and, uh, you can find, you know, I'm on Instagram and stuff like that, but yeah, no, it's, it's, we got, we're going to be doing. Yeah, as far as shows with the band, we do a live stream concert every week. Um, the next one will be tomorrow. Uh, well, usually, I don't know. We kind of set up on like Thursdays now afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That might change. And then the company we're doing, uh, we've got a, a, a test rocket launch schedule for later this summer where it's not going to go into orbit, but it'll be what they call a suborbital flight test. So right. we've got this selfie camp thing. We're going to fly on a rocket out in the Mojave Desert. Uh, or in Mojave, not the Mojave wow. Desert. <laughs> yeah, that's a little farther. Um, and that'll be probably September or October. We'll do the flight. Um, we've got kids at Arizona State University helping us work on this thing. And um, a company called Honeybee Robotics, which is, they've done a lot of work on the Perseverance rover and stuff like that. So really great team of people. And yeah, building hopefully a lunar slash Mars payload for the next few years we'll see how it comes together well go check out his stuff jason <laughs> achilles mazillus again remember we're sponsored by i want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor Money. over at yes floyd money mayweather mayweather boxing and fitness in scottsdale again opening up mid-july july 9th they start construction they will be opening up the brand new facility here in scottsdale come july again jason thanks so much this was episode 366 of the o show thanks for watching Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.